Hey. Hey. So we're recording this episode in a motel of questionable quality in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and we realised that this is the first time that either of us have been outside of the airport in Dallas. That's true. I've been here twice before. Yeah. In Once in 2015. And and once once in, on this once trip. Once on this trip, yeah. Yeah, and the same. I passed through Dallas airport changing on my way to Orlando this trip, but then I also landed in um, Dallas. Uh, no, I lie. Oh my goodness. You're oh, lying. So much. I just spill so nothing like but this, like yeah, falsities yeah, out of my mouth. Yeah, you've made this podcast into an <sighs> unreliable narrator. Bed, and bed of thieves mm-hmm. and hooligans. Like, how are we supposed to intro this episode now? <laughs> I don't know. I just realised that I landed in Houston and changed last time I came. Yeah. <laughs> Houston and Dallas are not the same place. I'm just uh, teaching all of the Americans out there a little bit of geography because... Oh my I've God. Been to- <laughs> <laughs> I've been told. Just, you, let's you just talk get- about your cloud. Michael. Okay, <laughs> onwards. Onwards. Your cloud. On Scarlet's map... Your cloud stretches all the way from Houston, where I did land and change planes, uh, all the way up to Philadelphia. It's quite a long, quite a long drive Mm. for your cloud. Um, We, however, only touched on it at the beginning and the end. Bailey and Teague from Houston on their drive to New Orleans, and then that last little stretch into Philly as we drove from DC. Yeah, it was amazing. But this is an interesting song because I feel like it's quite polarizing among Mm. the fandom. Big time. Uh, A lot of people either find it utterly brilliant and connect with it really, really deeply or just think it's terribly boring. And so... Under-fucking-rated. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, for what, for the record, both you and I fall into the la- the the former category, but we think it's a brilliant and beautiful piece of music yes. and a and a fantastic song. Yes, I have a mixed relationship with it, mm. but um, I see its power and strength, and I can't wait to unpack it. And I also can't wait to share with you some thoughts that. Uh, other fans have had because we got to interview two people who shared their thoughts on your cloud mm. uh, Alexander Leisure Small and Harinan Harinan Jaya, also known as Aaron Hefele, who lives Boys in. Voice for Hefele? Voice <laughs> for Hefele. Oh my god, that's brilliant. That's who all yours, just, Aaron, sweetie. Yeah, all yours. Harinan, you take that one. Who just really, both of them broadened my understanding and appreciation of it so deeply and so I can't wait to share those with you a bit later in this episode. Yeah. Hi, I'm Michael Earp. And I'm Bailey Turner. Welcome to Michael's Walk, the podcast. Michael's Walk is a road trip, a search for something. Spoilers, it's myself and it was inside all along. If only it were that simple. Driven by Tori Amos's album, Scarlet's Walk, I'm recreating the journey Scarlet took in its 20th anniversary year. I'll also be there. 
with the loving and patient always patient support of Bailey and Teagley three trans queers set out across America that's 33 states in 55 days to connect with the songs the land that inspired them and the fans inspired by the songs we'll talk music travel healing and hope as we ask the questions how do I heal from 15 years of coercive control and manipulation and what role does the music we listen to play in our own relationship narratives We've self-produced this podcast and trip. You can support us via GoFundMe. For the full story, head to michaelerb.net. So what does the song mean for you, Michael? What does it mean to me? When I was in the thick of it, mm. as they were, thick in the woods, thick, lost in the, lost in the woods, uh, I'm going to stop searching for... <laughs> metaphors and similes. I really saw this as a song about w- what's the point of trying to separate two things that have become one and I was interpreting that as me and my partner had forged a relationship and so therefore the separation of our two lives combined was a fruitless enterprise. Mm. And initially, that was a very, very beautiful and heartwarming and lovely sentiment that Mm. I really lent into. And then as time wore on, it very much became a prison of itself Mm. almost because I started to lose sight of the potential of separating until I honestly believed that there was no life other than this one that I had built with this person. And so I had no choice but to admit that we were now one thing Mm. that couldn't be separated. So that was really painful. And then after the breakup, I... uh, started to see it more as... Well, when Tori talks about this song in her notes, she references how you can't separate the Native Americans from their land just by removing them from it. Um, you You can't remove your history from yourself just by putting it behind you or forcibly separating um, people from homes and all of this sort of thing. And so now I more relate this to myself and my former self in that just because I went through all of that doesn't mean I'm separated from who I am Mm. and my own spiritual home inside myself, Mm. even though I felt so removed from that for such a long time. But it's quite different for you, isn't it? It is. It is a, a different. I always loved this song because I thought lyrically it's one of the most beautiful songs on the record. Um, even just from that first line, you know, where the river cross crosses the lake, the enunciation on the consonants, and I loved the idea that you could sort of see it as: is it a river named the river cross, or is it kind of a faltering that was happening as she sort of said, "Well, where the river cross crosses the lake you know like it, 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 there's a sort of there's something in there that really caught me particularly when a few you know now nearly four years ago my brother was dying 
Um, and I think I've sort of mentioned Kale's death a number of times and <laughs> I just want to reassure that um, my brother died in a very tragic car accident. Um, because he was so young, a lot of people assume that he may have taken his own life or, or died of some sort of drug-based situation, um, but he was in a car accident. And effectively, we had a week with him while we determined what the damage of that, of that accident would be. And at the end of that week, it was determined that, you know, he was not going to be fit to live any further. Um, he was not in a condition for living, so um, we had to let him go and, and spend that time. And so I feel really blessed that we had that time with him. But the nature of things were that we were, as a family, my sister was in Germany at the time and had to fly back on her own. And I was about to re-put on my show. I was about to do Fringe again. And my parents were due to travel. You know, it was kind of a whole... Our family kind of came together in this week and it was this kind of groundhog day where we would wake up and we would all shower and it was like climbing a mountain to get to hospital and do what was required to be done there and spend the day and, and kind of, you know, come in and out and work out what we're doing. And I remember this song kind of played at one point or I thought of it um, in the shower. Uh, while I was getting ready to go to hospital, it kind of became my touchstone song that I used to listen to every morning and just kind of sit in the shower and, to be honest, you know, cry a fair bit. And because it was that sense of understanding that with every passing day, it became more and more likely that he would die and that he wasn't going to be all right and he wasn't going to wake up. And so separating myself from him and understanding who I was as a person without him, you know, at this time, bear in mind that I was his older brother and that's how I identified. And it was, inc and I'd spent, you know, he's eight years my junior, so I'd spent a lot of my life characterizing my actions in deference to or, or in relationship with him. So to sort of go, well, who am I if I don't have, you know, my younger brother? Like, you know, what does that mean for me? And, and what does that mean for my duty hmm. on this earth and my responsibilities? And that sort of if where the river cross crosses the lake was even just that moment of like, there's a grief there, like when you're sort of, where she's, so, it, it, to me, that's how it, that's how it starts for me, is this kind of like, she's saying something and then she has to kind of, it hits her and she has to hold it and then finish the line. And that's how, that's how it kind of, that was my, basically my meter for the entire, you know, few bits of time that it was happening. So yeah, that song is very connected to my relationship with Kale and, and my relationship to losing him and, and what it meant to become someone who, who, you know, was that hole that, he left in my life and it's that you know what do you do now you know mm. how do you how do you go forward without that person who really made you who you are yeah well I guess that that's the thing with music isn't it you really sort of approach it from your own experience and your own um, understanding of the world and so that's why we all take different things from it at different times in our lives yeah I really like the way that um you know, Tori talks about her songs and she calls them her girls, or she calls them girls, and kind of gives them this really wonderful evolutionary personification. And I love seeing the songs that way, and I think about them in the context, and it really is like, you know, I really did feel like she was sat there on the edge of the bathtub while I was in the shower, just kind of coaxing me to have enough strength to get out of the shower and go to hospital and be there for my family and support them to make you know, the hardest decisions we'd ever had to make. She really was there as a, yeah. as a 
as a very clear being for me. And that's, you know, where we come to this point about, and you and I talk about this a lot, it kind of, it, it baffles me when the Tory community sees any kind of value in saying a song is shit or, or saying a song is boring or, or not wanting a song or, you know, she plays it live, I'm walking out or, you know, like all that kind of stuff. And it's like this, that song, you know, Ribbons Undone may have saved someone's life Mm. And you're going on the internet and saying that it's a terrible, objectively terrible song and you have no idea, which is ironic because there are songs that for you are critical to your health and your happiness and your relationships. So you know how important these songs can be to you and yet you want to talk smack about other ones and therefore, you know, what that song has meant to a lot of other people. It's why I just can't participate in This Song Sucks or That Album Was crap or whatever and yeah you know i think your cloud gets a lot of flack for being a bit of a snore fest but um i'd urge you to reconsider the way that you speak about tori's discography because you never know what those songs can mean to somebody else and just because something's a different speed doesn't mean it's not worthwhile well it, or that it doesn't it doesn't reach you you know just I because mean, it doesn't kind of like, just because you don't connect doesn't mean it's garbage <laughs> um, i mean some people would probably try and say the same of like bells for her but like i think like just because it's slower mm, you know but yeah. it, it has but we all there's so many of us out there that like draw on that for so many reasons absolutely and just because it's in the first half of her discography it seems to be you know allowed more leeway than I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Well, the point is, just just leave Tori's songs alone, okay? <laughs> leave Tori's songs alone! Um, oh, um, the other important thing to note that we, when we were planning this episode, we talked about how being Australian, this song had a real connection to our history of the stolen generation. And which mm -hmm. was the forcible removal of Indigenous children from their families mm -hmm. um, and, and bringing those children onto, into white schools and into white families in the hopes that they would adapt into white culture before, you know, have relationships and have children with white people and therefore slowly sort of eugenics. remove... Yeah, it was eugenics, you know, like cultural, cultural you know, um, whitewashing of like slowly remove, mm. you know, and vile, disgusting practice but this song really kind of connected with that as we were reading about Tori's notes you know in I know that you know stolen generations happen in have happened to pretty much every you know indigenous culture if not you know the only reason I say almost every is because I can't say for sure but I cannot imagine that that's not that not happening yeah. in a colonized sort of um in a colonized situation but yeah you know sort of very very famous stories that kind of came out of Australia and if you've seen the movie Rabbit Proof Fence you'll sort of be aware like this you know it was quite common for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children to escape the missions and schools that they were sent to and find their way home you know and like you know walking for days and weeks and just continuing to us to escape and 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 make their way back to their country um or their you know their you know their part you know, we call we say country as a means to talk about the part of Australia that they they this kind of has that affiliation for us as we're, as we're thinking about things as well. Especially being that it's now NAIDOC week, yes. by the way, if you don't know what that is. Oh God, my brain is addled and I can't remember. 
Oh God, please edit out the fact that I cannot recall. No, yeah. don't edit it out. I should be absolutely ashamed. But um, it is a week. Actually, she's become a month this year. Oh, brilliant. So it's now NAIDOC month, which is a recognition of um, Indigenous culture and Indigenous rights to land and Indigenous rights to sovereignty in Australia. So uh, happy NAIDOC month. Yeah. I, uh, I love how this ties in with a, a little note that Tori wrote in the, the liner notes um, about Scarlett and her journey. And when she ri- arrives in Philadelphia, uh, the quote is, she arrives in Philadelphia where she sees the Liberty Bell and observes that it is cracked. <laughs> Shouldn't you yeah, put it, yeah, to put it so simply? Yeah. It's like, who's Liberty? Mm. Like, who, what Liberty is this supposed to represent and why was it so easily cracked? Mm. And why do we now celebrate cracked Liberty? Yeah, literally. Well, it's the notion that we cast this sort of monument to liberty in a, in a country where it does not exist. And it's, a, it's as clear as day that the liberty is, is flawed, that there is there's a crack in it. Like, you know, and, and we're all just going to pretend that that doesn't exist and that the liberty is therefore Certain damaged, people. you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a flawed from the outset. Mm-hmm. We didn't see the liberty bell. Or observe that it was cracked ourselves. Although we were told that the reason it's cracked is that it was made too brittle. Yes. It wasn't made to withstand the travel that it had to do. And that it's also the second Liberty Bell, the first one also cracked. I mean, third time's a charm, (laughs) Philadelphia. (laughs) Good thing you can make cream cheese. (laughs) (laughs) And they're going to go to Philly and they're going to see where the cream cheese is made. I want to see where they make the light cream cheese. When we were in Cape Cod, I uh, educated Bailey and made her watch Best in Show, which is one of my favourite films, and it was glorious. We had a fair, we had a few really great memories in both Houston and Philadelphia. Um, yeah. Houston, so Tegan and I drove from San Antonio to Houston, and it was a pretty interesting day. We'd had it was the first time we really encountered really bad traffic, and. We'd both found San Antonio pretty overwhelming because we went to see the Alamo. So by the time we got to Houston, um, we were feeling a whole bunch of things. But Michael had charged us from their hotel room to find a sangria somewhere because we were traveling all along the sweet sangria line on, on route from San Antonio to Houston. Although we didn't do too much of the drive of the map, we kind of <laughs> got there more directly. <laughs> Basically, we got to Houston and we went to, um, we found there was a gay bar called Michael's Outpost. And as I was stuck in face palms, mission, <laughs> mission control face palm springs, <laughs> it just was perfect Michael's Outpost. So um, we were so optimistic that we would manage to find a sangria there, but we did not. Um, so we instead had a beer in this empty, you know, kitschy, or gay gay piano bar and then um drove off to another place that I can't remember the name of it was like dishy something it was also empty um, and we went in and we said oh look we're looking for sangria and the bar manager told us that um they didn't actually do them anymore we'd seen them on like the menu on the website we said oh we want a sangria oh we don't do them that's the summer menu we're now in no that's the something menu and now we're in the summer menu. Like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. And we like, we clearly looked a bit like deflated and a bit like, oh no, now what are we gonna do? Um, and he basically went, look, 
does it have to be a sangria? And we said, yeah, it does. And he went, look, I can't make sangria because it's going to take too long, but I can make a sangria-esque cocktail for you. Um, and so we went, that'll, that'll have to do. Because <laughs> we were running out of time as the evening before we were due at Teague's brother's house. Uh, Teague's um, cousin's house. And so he, this guy made this delicious drink that was super sangria-esque. Um, and Teague took a chance on white sangria. Teague had never had white sangria before, but I recommended that. And it was freaking delicious. And this bartender named James just basically told us about his life story of being... Um, he was a pro footballer who got sent to a college, but due to not being willing to admit that he was getting injured because he was so competitive, he like basically damaged himself beyond the ability to play, couldn't hold the grades to keep the scholarship, so went to another school and then it was kind of a similar situation. So he became a mixologist and just sort of started bartending. And like he taught us this great story about how he was doing security and basically it didn't matter. You worked from whatever it was, nine till three in the morning. It didn't matter what happened, whether there was huge bar brawls or no one in all night, it was 45 bucks for the whole night. What the? Yeah. $45 a night to work security. And obviously it's terrible bloody money and you can't get tips as security. So eventually one of his friends got him into behind the bar and he worked his way up. And I'll say this, he was, wonderful but very big big black man um and he was like oh i you know not, you don't see a lot of you know men my size um behind the bar because there's not a lot of room and you know you can't and like i would go for jobs and then say look you know you're not going to fit behind the bar you know fat phobia um rides again but um what he used to do was he would go into and like you know obviously being black as well you know whether he had you know whether that would have been about to develop his opportunities so he would go into bars and he would ask to speak to the manager and it would be like a Friday night and he would say give me a shot behind the bar if I and I will out I will out sell or whatever your best bartender tonight if I do if I do then can then I get to keep my tips if I don't then I don't get paid a thing. And it was like, there was only one night out of like weeks I was doing this that I didn't take my tips home, which is more than I would have earned as a bartender, like more than I would have earned as a security anyway. Yeah. And that was kind of how he got really wow. good. And like, so it was like just this awesome dude. And then we told him a bit of our story and he was just amazing. And then we realized we had to go and we, he said, um, your drinks are on the house. Good luck. Oh. Have a great time. So um, shout out to James. Uh, in Houston, we just going to be one of those standout characters that we got to meet along the road. Fantastic. And that's my first time hearing that story because they were saving it up for the podcast. That's right. <laughs> but we also had a great time in Philly, didn't we? Yeah. Philly was fantastic, even though we literally just stopped there for lunch and made one single stop. But we went to... We made two stops, actually. We stopped for pepper spray. Oh, <laughs> this is we, we bought pepper spray in Philly. We did buy pepper spray. But before then, <laughs> we stopped at Giovanni's room, uh, which is a fantastic bookshop. It's the oldest queer bookshop in America mm. and was just such a wonderful experience. I did what I love to do when I'm traveling and I asked the 
staff for recommendations and they're like, well, what are you like? And I'm like, that's not what this is about. This is what I'm doing. This is kind of what I like to read, but I'm actually after your personal favorites. And so I ended up buying three poetry collections from that staff member because one of them just had the best title ever. It was called, You Think This Is A Date? Apocalypse Poems. <laughs> <laughs> just um, very um very on the nose for our friendship yeah. <laughs> and there was another one that was recommended that was a like it's getting a bit of buzz at the moment I, the title of it has gone from my brain but uh, i turn over to the back and the blurb says something along the lines of how can you reckon with your past when you're still uh living through the trauma or Something like that. It basically was like, you need to read this collection. Mm. Um, I was going to say, what prompted you to find? <laughs> what made you think that would be valuable? And then the third <laughs> one was the staff member saying, this one is not showy or like contemporary. In fact, it's been around for decades and I, uh, it's just my personal favourite. I absolutely love it. And I look at the publication date and it was 2002. And I'm like, well, we're literally doing a two-month trip around some 2002 poetry. So uh, here we are. I'll, I'll buy some, that one yeah. too. So I'm yet to get into them, but um, I'm, I've picked up some more poetry collections along the way. And I'm just sort of dipping in and out when I have the time. Yeah, I realise I'm probably going to have to read a fair bit. <laughs> read a whole bunch of these. We'll have to have a bit of a book club and just mm. swap books. I read one from a different collection on the plane today the plane to Dallas and it was called the poem was called Summer Somewhere and it was effectively all about a gay black man coming to terms with how black people are killed by the police and how gayness plays into that and it, you get it from multiple perspectives but the majority of the poem is from the black boy who is dead and the peace that he has found in death because no one can touch him mm. now. And it was so powerful. And yeah, there were a, a lot, there was a lot to take from it. Mm. Wow. Mm. And then I wrote my own little poem on the plane that mm -hmm. um, I shared on Insta stories. Here's the interview we did with Alexander Leger Small. Uh, we touched on a few different Scarlet songs, but uh, here's his thoughts on your cloud. Hey, Alex, or is it Alexander? Alexander, if you please. <laughs> Always. I've just been hearing a few Alexes around the house, and so I'm not yes. sure. Uh, we, so... My husband, Matthew, and I, when we met, we both went by shortened versions of our names. And then as we grew older and became professionals and I started publishing as a writer, I wanted to use my full name. And then I just realized I really like my name. Excellent. Because you've always been Alexander in my head. And so hearing people call you Alex, I'm like, that sounds foreign to me. <laughs> it sounds weird to me, too. <laughs> I've always been Michael. No, like, no abbreviations of Michael. Mm -hmm. It's not me. 
Uh, thank you for joining us on Michael's Walk. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us <laughs> at <laughs> our home. Thank you for having us. Uh, incredible hosts. Oh my God. It's just been such a delight to be here. Well, thank you. In gorgeous Holyoke, Massachusetts. Um, yeah, my goodness. What a, what a beautiful spot and a beautiful house you have. Thank you. And a gorgeous dopey dog. You're saying all the right things to me right now. You're, you're rubbing all of my pleasure receptors. Well, let's not talk too much about rubbing pleasure receptors because I'll get carried away. Cheers. Cheers <laughs> to that. Um, so, yeah, tell me about your relationship with Tori and Scarlet's Walk. Sure. So my relationship with Tori, we can say, is something like that of... Uh, an aunt that has been present through my childhood into adulthood and was a mother and a best friend and a sister and an enemy at times. And oh, yeah, there's all these moments where it's Toria Kuch. Yeah. And also, I, I definitely went through a period of my life where I had to, it wasn't very long, but I had to be like, I don't need Tori anymore. I need to be a person without her. And then I realized that she is integral to who I am. Mm. Um, so Scarlet as an album was the first album that was released uh, when I was an adult. So I was in my freshman year in college and I traveled alone to see the tour for the first time. And I was living on my own for the first time. And I got to create a really different relationship both my mom and my sister are fans as well so previous to that when an album would come out it would be a group experience in a lot of ways and even going to see shows i would go with my mom or my sister or both and scarlet itself feels like an album of growing up to some extent or mm. realizing that you're not the person that you thought you were or you're not in the country that you thought you were and so i think it rang really true for me as a 17-year-old, 18-year-old boy, queer boy who was... And I had moved away from home for college. I was living in Chicago, and I had grown up on the East Coast in Massachusetts and Virginia. So I was seeing the country in a new way, mm -hmm. and I was finding myself in somebody else's paradise <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a particular track that speaks to you or tracks well before we started recording i told you too and i'm going to change my mind oh good um, excellent i love when <laughs> something strikes you as no follow me instead yes um and that's your cloud oh yeah um and as much as i loved the album when i received it at that point in my life i was very tuned into Tori's ballads and her piano as an instrument of beauty mm. and had a harder time with songs like Professional Widow or She's Your Cocaine that were too rough. And Your Cloud was a really soft moment on that album. And since that time, I've come to understand that maybe it had different meaning for Tori in writing it, but the way I heard it then and still tend to hear it now is a partner 
an intimate argument between partners and one of them just saying, how, how could we be anything but the same thing? How could the river and the lake separate where they cross because they're both the same body at that point? And as a young queer man, I wanted to be in love desperately and I wanted to feel those things. And now as an older queer man who has been with my partner for 18 years, I, I do not know how to separate. Uh, and I don't know where I end and where he begins very often. Um, and since growing older, I can see and I've dealt with the detrimental side of that and the codependent side of that and the part that is afraid to be separate from the person that you love and the person that you have built an identity and life around. Uh, and I think your cloud holds that as well in a lot of ways. And mm. still, though, when I come back to it now, uh, it's... It's a beautiful love song to me. It's interesting because it, it was very much a love song to me in my past relationship. And it's funny because I... Uh, wait, was it yesterday morning? Yes, yesterday morning interviewed Harinan about your cloud. Really? Because for him, it's his all-time favorite Tory track. Wow. And his insights you'll have to look forward to the episode i certainly will his insights just blew me like i was astounded and mm -hmm. when i got off the, the zoom i just had to sit and be still for myself like for a while because because he's a yoga teacher and um like he sees all of these yoga yoga principles playing out through the song it was just an incredible discussion anyway so i feel like i've been steeping a lot in your cloud recently mm -hmm. Um, but when I was in my relationship, I very much saw it as a, like, but we're together, so how could we possibly separate? And then it, that became a trap. That became a, mm -hmm. well, we can't separate, so, like, why should we even try? And now, looking back, it's more of a you can't separate me from who I was before the relationship. Mm -hmm. And like, yes, I've gone through those transfigurations of rain, like lake to cloud, to rain, to river. Like it's the big circle mm -hmm. of the life cycle of, of water. Um, but I'm still myself despite all of those forms. Yes. Um, I like that yeah. quite a bit. And while you were talking, it struck me in the lyrics, it's not if the rain has a fight with itself or if the rain chooses to leave itself. It has to. Yeah. It's, it, it's an imperative moment. And the rain doesn't, it's not, it doesn't want to, but sometimes things have to happen. Yeah. Whew, what a song. Yeah. I mean, but you could say that about every song. That's on true. this album in particular, in my opinion. And, yeah, how about... Advice for... Oh, oh my. Yeah, um, yeah. What would you, what would um, you advise? It's interesting because I, I know what I sort of was going to say, but um, in the time 
since we planned this episode, I think I actually have some different advice. Yeah, Um, And my advice really is, and it might seem really odd, and it always seems so counterintuitive, um, but there... When, when, when it comes to relationships, and almost anything really, having an exit strategy is actually a really valuable thing. I remember getting this advice when I started a job. I was about 23 and I'd just moved to Melbourne and I got into this gig and I thought it was great. And um, someone who was very precious to the company was leaving at the time and I sort of ended up trying to make friends with him even though he was leaving the company and we ended up having this like coffee and he went, always have an extra strategy. That's the best advice I can give you. Always have a series of conditions under which you would no longer be in the situation that you're being, that you're in. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you would no longer work for this organisation if this. You would no longer be in this relationship if that. You would no longer deal with this behaviour by this friend if this. Um, and it's kind of sat in my psyche since then and I think it has saved me in a lot of circumstances and we were having this conversation about you know speaking to your point earlier about trying to separate from someone you've been with and who is sort of ingrained and ingrown into your life Mm. you know over the course of 15 years you know and how do you separate that you know you kind of want to have some kind of exit strategy and you want to have some sort of cognizance of what it would mean to unstitch things like bank accounts and living arrangements and family, you know, relationships and, you know, custody agreements, if that's the case. And you're like, there's this idea that while we're romantic and when we're in a happy place that we shouldn't kind of talk about separating. But I feel like that's the best time. Like, you know, it's that thing like, go to the doctor when you're healthy. Don't wait until you're sick. Like, Mm. you know, like deal with, set up these really good strategies when you love each other so that it's kind of more Murphy's law. Like if you, if you have them in place, then you're never going to need them. And if you have them in place at whatever point you have an argument, or you have a disagreement, or you have a concern, you've already got a plan. And this is what I teach as a consent educator. We actually tell people, here's a process to go through if something goes wrong on site. And what that means is because everyone knows if you approach someone and challenge their behavior, they're going to know what process you're following. They don't think you're taking a personal vendetta out against them. Mm. This is a process that everyone has the same steps for and everyone knows the steps are there to be followed and they know what steps to take if those steps don't work. This is what we teach, you know, as if from a consent education perspective, and I think it has a great application in relationships. Mm. If we fight, how are we going to manage that? If we're poly and we decide, you know, we're having this conversation with someone else on the tour, I'm back in San Diego. You know, they were sort of just starting their poly journey and it was like, well, you know, we're just not allowed to fall in love with, you know, whoever it is that we're talking to. And I went, well, that's, that's nonsense. Like, it's very, how you go, what happens then if you do? Mm. Because you can't just ignore that and you can't lie about it. You actually need to, you're, it's a, a more productive conversation to say, okay, let's hypothetically say that this might happen. I don't think it will. I've got no interest in anyone but you. But if this happens, what do we then do to manage it? Yeah. Because... The, it doesn't, it's not a sort of, well, if I fall in love with someone, then I must be in love with them and pursue a relationship with them. I don't want that. Mm. So if I fall in love with them, how am I going to make sure that I don't go down that road, that we get reassurance and we have an openness? So it's, uh, you know, setting up, I suppose my advice of it for your cloud and my advice for Virginia is think about those things and have those plans in place. So then when things go wrong, you don't have to kind of invent 
a way to deal with them. You've already got one existing. And further to that, if you do need to separate from someone, regardless of how long you've been together, things will sort themselves out. Like, I know it seems like it's impossible to imagine a life without this person, Mm. but if you're that unhappy that you like you need to get out Mm. then just trust that your life will unfold from here Mm. in its own way you don't have to have all of the answers you don't need to know where you'll end up living necessarily you don't need to wonder which of your friends will choose which of the partner Mm. like which of the couple after the breakup and potentially if they choose the the other person, then maybe they weren't worth keeping around in the first place. Or maybe, yeah, they'll have their own journey to discover with that person and, you know, the friendship that you have may forge itself again later. Yeah. It, so just don't don't let those unknowns keep you somewhere. Absolutely not. There. But my... I mean, I guess my, my advice ties in with that. I, it was, I've, I've come to really... Uh, lean on the the lyric indigo is his own blue always knew this just to sort of mean that you know you're you're always your own thing like you're Mm. always your own regardless of how together you become you are still you're still your one person yeah um which also leads directly into one of my song swap recommendations um Alana Suarez's Not the Doctor, where she sings, I believe that one and one make two. Mm. And sometimes I needed that as a, like I'm not half a person that needs another half a person Mm. to make me a whole. I am a one, one person. Mm. And then yes, two, two people together, but then two people are also two individuals. Absolutely. And so that's okay. You're, you can be two and still be one. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. My, um, actually, before I get my song started, I just want to mention the piece of advice I was, because it does pertain, you were saying, you know, what your, one of your favourite lyrics in the song, and my favourite moment in the, in the song, um, I know I talked about that for sort of first lyric, but my favourite part of the song is in the beginning of verse two, when it sort of says, oh, how light can play in form a ring, and then, there's the undercurrent of like, I found, I found, I found a thrill. And to me, I, I, I love that part because it reminds me of how much joy I was able to find in losing my brother. It brought up so many great memories and so many good connections. And I ended up like seeing someone very briefly um, over that time as well. And I was able to kind of appreciate life in a very different way, the closer in proximity I ever came. <laughs> to to you know death um and so this what that kind of what that kind of brought around for me was you know the greatest power that we have is forgiveness mm-hmm. and it's not to say that we need to you know allow people to stay in our life you know but it is about you know that's something that we need to kind of do mm-hmm. is to forgive people and to forgive ourselves for for what for the parts that we played and forgive that person for doing what they did even if it was a good even if it was good things and it makes the whole situation harder <laughs> like it's forgiveness is a really important part of any process and mm-hmm. it's in you know when we talk about abuse and queerness 
it's in any abuser's interest to make you believe that, you know, without you, they'd become nothing or they'd die or they would, you know, they'd run out. And that's even more in, when we talk about queer relationship violence, that's even more of an alarm because that's actually even more accurate. Queer people do, you know, struggle with employment and, you know, and we talk about trans people in particular, struggling with employment, struggling with housing, struggling with addiction and substance misuse. And so it can be very tempting to stay because it's a very real possibility that without your input, mm. that person would fall apart. The thing is, we've actually, you can't sort of lend your entire self over, you know, we're talking about two becoming one. It's one thing, and we talked about this, you know, the Venn diagram. It's, yeah. you know, we talked yeah. about, you know, when that person just, you don't have any of your own circle, you're completely consumed. Um, but I think what's worth knowing is that most people are pretty industrious and it's very easy for that person to believe they wouldn't be able to survive without you when they don't even have to consider the prospect. Like, yeah. and, when, and when they're sort of sedated by the knowledge that you won't leave them and therefore they don't need to push very hard on these things. Mm. Um, you know, people have a remarkable survival skill and I know that it's been very strange for me and for people I know when, you know, it's that, oh, well, if I, you know, if I don't do something, then, you know, that person will suffer. And then eventually, you know, push to breaking point. You do separate. And somehow they still manage to be okay. Yeah. They still manage to figure out their job and their housing situation. And a couple of years later, somehow they're in a relationship. And, you know, it's all, you know, um, so... Yeah, that that's particularly relevant to me mm. where my ex was unemployed for eight years and just didn't seem to be able... Like, refused to even get government benefits because of pride and his own shame. And then the sec, like literally three days after I broke up with him, he's like, I, I applied for the doll as, as if that was enough to convince me to take him back. Mm. And it's like, well, well, no, you could have done that a decade ago and be contributing to this relationship, but you chose to live off my very meager mm. Uh, income and like put us through a, a lot harder times than we needed to be simply for your own pride mm. and then yeah I got lots of don't don't leave me you're my last person and you know two years after I broke up with him he sends me an email inviting me to his wedding <laughs> which uh, That's it. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure the wedding was real, but anyway, uh, that's what the email said. Yeah. But like, that's the thing is, you know, these, we get a lot out of the idea that these people couldn't survive without us, but the, the concern that we need to have is whether we can survive with them. Mm. <laughs> because whether they survive without us actually has nothing to, nothing to do with us. It's absolutely not in our control. Um, absolutely. And often, it's that notion here, we, treat, we teach people how to treat us. If that person believes that we'll just continue to provide, then I'm sure their concern is very real. But once they're sort of once they're put in that position, people have a way of figuring things out. Um, and it doesn't matter whether they do or they don't. Mm. None of those things is your fault. Oh, your yeah. pri your only responsibility is to your own mental well being and 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 yeah. protecting your safety and your security and your sanity. Absolutely. And before we get into Bailey's song suggestions, here's the incredible interview 
with Harinan. So here I am chatting with Harinam, who lives in Florida, and we connected through, you filled out the form that I put out into the world um, yeah. about this project. And uh, I was particularly keen to talk to you for the podcast when you mentioned to me that Your Cloud is your all-time favourite Tory song. And so I would just love to hear about what Your Cloud means to you. Yeah. You know, um, I always, I mean, I love Tori. I love her music, love her lyrics. Uh, there's so much. Scarlet's Walk was an impactful album for me. Um, and out of the entire album, Your Cloud just always resonated with my own heart. And um, I almost felt like it's evolved with me over time, right? The lyrics mm. to me are incredibly deep. And I felt like it evolved with me in a way, like the way I interpreted the meeting, you know, in 2002 or 2005 or 2010 and where we are today in 2022, it's evolved with, with me. Um, and for that reason, it just has always stood out as a, as a favorite in my heart. That's, that's fantastic. I have to say that my relationship with the song has also evolved um, over time. I'll probably go into it in a lot more detail in the Your Cloud episode yeah. um, that this will be a part of. But uh, just across the Scarlet album in general, on this trip, I'm finding new discoveries in the lyrics all the time. And this oh, is my, my most listened to Tory album for 20 years. Yeah. And I'm still making discoveries. It's, it's such an incredible album. Oh, yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the progression of what it has meant for you then. Sure. Like, you know, in the early 20s, I was exploring my sexuality. You know, I knew I was gay, you know, trying to live the life, figuring out who I was, burdened with a lot of um, heaviness in my heart, right? Not knowing who I was and lacking self worth right was a heavy theme in in those years and so um you know I felt like this song was almost reflecting in the early years who I was right um from the color blue to talking about like journaling things I'm like oh I felt like Tori was like peeling the curtain away and like writing about me in a sense right um and I felt like, you know, she's talking about, I, I always thought of it almost as a breakup anthem in a sense, right? Because there's talking about coming together and separating and what that all means. I took it very literally and I, I related that to like, you know, experiences of, of just relationships and interaction in the gay world, right? Mm -hmm. And as it evolved for me, and as I reflect on the lyrics today, I look at it from a more yogic point of view. Um, and to me, it's a much deeper, deeper um, song in the sense that it really is talking about energy, um, talking about, to me, like in yogic philosophy, there is no difference between you and I. We are the same, right? There's, there's like sun and moon, it's the tantra, right? Like mm. there is the ego of me and the ego of you, but then there's also the 
the tantric um, dissolve of us. And I feel like Tori's dancing through that in a sense, right? And I also think that in a sense, like Tori leans and repeats in the song, I'm looking at the lyrics here, like, I'm gonna stay right here and I'm gonna stay with this. I'm gonna stay right here and I'm gonna stay with this. And to me, that's addressing your trauma and sitting in it for a moment, right? Like um, mm-hmm. sitting in the things that have experienced, that you've experienced and maybe even healing them, right? Because when uh, when we bounce out of those things and don't really feel them, they linger, right? It's like a shadow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you sit with it, it can become real and you can work through through that, right? So I know that's a little long-winded answer, but... No, that's the point. I want as long-winded as you want to give me. Yeah, yeah. I guess the other thing that I would say is that um, in yoga, we, we, we talk about energy, right? And the divine feminine form is female, right? And, um, and all action, all creation occurs through the female movement, right? Um, that's, we're born from women, we come out of the female body and all of that, right? And um, when, when we're taught about that in yoga and the deeper teachings, we're taught that, you know, um, the female energy is like an arrow, right? And when we direct it and when it goes, um, there's no stopping it. So uh, as I've reflected on these lyrics over the years and with, with a deeper yogic understanding, she's, Tori's talking a lot about the energy coming off my body and in, you know, off this person's body and into her heart and how it transcends. Yeah. And to me, it's all about energy, right? Um, it's a very, to me, tantric and very energetic, spiritual message that's, that she's conveying, you know, like, how do we, it, it's like she's coming in and out of this separation between you and I, and then the, and then the merge um, mm. of the two and what that means and how do, you know, her lyrics, you know, if the rain has to separate itself, does it say pick out your cloud? Like, when is that conscious, right? Like, when does the raindrop say it's time, you know, I'm going to come from this cloud? It doesn't, right? Does it? Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's such a deep concept. Yeah. And like, because once the rain is evaporated, it becomes the cloud. Mm-hmm. So returns to source, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That um, feminine energy as an arrow image has just <laughs> really floored me. Um, yeah. Like in yoga, they tell us um, as we do spiritual practice, our body fills with this divine feminine energy kundalini rising right the feminine energy builds it's the ancient teachings and it is our job to direct that energy right to say Mm. i'm going to do a thing and then put our energy behind it and then it happens right like going on a trip around the world and writing a book like you build an energy and then you put that energy behind it and then it and then it goes right yes yes um that's how the divine feminine works um and then you know there's like blessings within it because it almost does itself right like when you align yourself with that with that energy it's just so present it's just so there yeah but also for me i like it really struck home because in my early 20s when i was seeing this as a love song 
and as a reason to not leave a very poor relationship. Like the even the line you mentioned before, I'm going to stay right here, I'm going to stay with this. That was literally yeah. saying to me, you know, what, what are you trying to separate? You need to stay here with this relationship. Yeah. And, <clears throat> but around that time in my early 20s, I turned the lyrics of this into a sort of little comic strip, like a mini graphic novel in a way. And one of the images with that line that runs off the map of your body right through my heart, um, the image that I drew was a woman lying back where her sort of the curve of her knee and um, leg turns into a mountain range landscape. And it is, it is an arrow that shoots right up through her heart and like arrows play into the entire, like I basically have drawn a whole lot of arrows and direction um, anyway, I feel like uh, maybe I'll include it in the in the episode show notes so people can really look at my really poorly drawn early twenties comic book of your past. Awesome. Um, but yeah, it's the imagery just really sprang back into my mind when um, when you were describing that. Sorry to railroad. Oh, it's good. Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love that. It really. Um it reaffirms, right? It's an, it's a reaffirming um, synchronicity that, I mean, this is the first time we're discussing this and to consider that like the arrow presents, right? Yeah. That line in the movement through, like we can get that image through her lyric um, is really like, it's, there's something there behind it. Yeah. Goodness. I, uh, <laughs> I feel a bit flawed. Anyway, um, what else, uh, do you have anything else to offer about the the song? Yeah, you know, um, I'm reflecting on the lyrics. There's a line. Um, there's a line about indigo. Um, is it is his own blue always knew this? Yeah, and to me, as I've grown, you know, indigo in his own blue always knew this, like it's a timelessness, right? That whole, that whole piece, right? Who we were isn't lost before we were us. Indigo in his own blue eyes knew this. It's like deep inside ourselves, like at the surface, like blue is always my favorite color. And I was like, oh, Tori wrote this about me, right? Like, (laughs) you know, my young gay self really felt, you know, a connection to that. Yet, um, as I reflect on that now, it's sort of like um, my spirit, my soul has always been the same, right? Like there, what there is no division from that. Like it's t- it's a timelessness of who who my spirit and who your spirit and who are you know like there's this um, ongoing thread of who we are that continues through time, and that's what that means to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Because one of the things that I've been struggling with in the wake of the relationship I got out of was, uh, is trying to identify 
who I was before it and how much that matters. And I, for a couple of years, the first few years after the breakup, I was fixated on going back to who I was before the relationship. Yeah. Uh, and I, I realized that I wasn't, I was, I was a seven, a seven to 18 year old. Like I was, wasn't fully formed. Like there, there is no going back, but at the same time, I haven't lost who that person was. I've just yeah. grown with these experiences. So yeah, this is one of the things like sort of constructing my sense of self outside of what was a very codependent 15 year relationship. Yeah. It's like, I'm now finding this song to be really reassuring that like me as a individual and a centered self has always been there. Like it was there before and that you can't erase it just because you go through those things. I may have lost it along the way there for a bit, but um, yeah, I've all, um, Indigo is his own. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, yeah, it's always there. Yeah. It's like the core of your spirit um, is always there. Even if you get lost along the journey, like once you get the bullshit out of the way, you're like, oh, I'm here. Mm. You yeah. know, um, your unique, special, individual vibration is always there. And um, that was meaningful to me, like, because it meant that I was something, right? Absolutely. Not just a scientific mishap, right? Like, <laughs> there's, there's a deepness to this experience and um, to yours and to every person, right? Like, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I felt like lyrically and just musically speaking, Tori's, the melodies are sort of, evolving right it's almost like a trancy it's like you're driving through the mountains a little bit right there's or curving roads because you can get this sense of meandering um through the experience right um, i like i like imagining drifting down a river with this yeah. one and like yeah. every now and then it'll speed up as the river narrows but then it'll wide out and slow down and um like it is it has a very liquid feel to it to me yeah i i feel that for sure there's a flow there's definitely yeah. a flow that you can feel um one other thing that i would expound on is and this is just my own unique experience right mm. and it kicks off with that initial lyric where the river crosses crosses the lake where the words jump off my pen into your pages there's a blending there's a separation and joining right there's a merging happening happening is what Tori's talking about there. And um, to me, it was very literal in, in my earlier years when the song was new, right? I could see myself journaling as I did and how, you know, those experiences were replaying and manifesting in the physical form. Like I just really was stuck in the moment of it in a traumatic kind of not healthy relationship, right? codependent yeah. all that thing right and now as I reflect on this song in the later years it makes me think of my relationship with my guru in the sense that you know 
like my guru Majaya Sati Bhagavati talked, her whole teaching was about the river, right? The river of life and how it's a stream of consciousness from the feminine form and the river is there through all time, right? You can tap into that flow. You can feel it. And, um, and to me, it almost, it made me think of, of almost myself being the lake and the river coming in, right? It's like a lake is still, but a river brings flow, right? Um, it made me think of that merging with something greater, something more powerful than, than what is. Um, and, and Tori's asking, do you think just like that, you can divide this, you as yours, me as mine, um, to before we were us, like, to me, it's saying once it's merged, we've, we've connected, our alchemy has changed, we'll never, we've dissolved into each other now, like that can't, un, that can't be done, right? No, ma- undone, no matter where the river goes, or how, mm. what the path means, like, we merged in that moment, and that has caused that alchemy change. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because the other thing that I'm grappling with is that for a while I was too fixated on the idea of like erasing what I've been through. And now I'm trying to sit with the fact that there is no erasing it, but there is growth of it. Like I can grow from here and I don't have to let it define where I move forward to either. Uh, I get, yeah. It makes, me think of, it makes me think of consciousness in a sense, right? And vibration because like the younger me and the evolving me put a lot of blame out there, right? Like blame myself for staying too long in a, in a toxic relationship that had outgrown itself, right? Yeah, yes. And then um, so it went from self-blame to me, like blaming the other person and like being very like, you know, you were fucked up and all this stuff. Right. Like and where the wrongs lied um, and building yeah. a case. Right. Like building a case of what that is. And to me, there was a lot of resentment and judgment and heaviness and all of that and a, a feeling of like you stole years of my life for me that I'll never get back. Right. Kind of thing through a manipulation almost. Mm. Um, and then and then it evolved, right? It evolved to um, there being a kindness, like um, for whatever it is that occurred and it was a time and maybe that's a healing, a traumatic healing experience, right? Uh, maybe it's a way to, um, to shift through that. But even just acknowledging how trauma shows up today, like I find myself being careful about the words that I share because I don't want to disparage another human being. Right. Absolutely. I don't know if that, any of that means anything to you, but. No, that that's, that's where I'm at before coming away on this trip. My parents came and stayed with me for a weekend um, just to sort of, we didn't have any plans other than to spend time together and, um, just talk out anything that needed talking out before I then went and explored the world and told the world via a podcast yeah. and book. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and one of the things, like my parents are very religious. And so one of the things that my dad said specifically was that he often prays for me that I 
will find forgiveness because it's only through forgiveness that you can heal. And I, I have to admit that I, like, I don't know how to let go of the assigning of blame. And it's, it's in both, like, I blame myself for so much as well as can clearly pinpoint things that I blame him for too, my ex. And I know it's not helpful to hold on to that for myself or for like against him, but yeah. I just, I'm, I know I've still got a ways to go before I can see how to forgive and let that go. And it, it makes me think of Tori's song, 29 Years, Mm. Uh, from the latest album and where the bridge why is she so good at bridges I don't know uh, <laughs> she has a gift but the bridge is like walk with me in your bare feet um, in the sugar sand time to diffuse the bombs I planted in our bed we can heal with forgiveness in the sugar sand my friend and I'm like I I've got to work towards that forgiveness and for my, like for myself, I yeah. <laughs> have so much complex energy directed towards myself as well. And I've got to figure that out too. Yeah. I think um, I love what you're saying and I'm resonating even with what your dad shared, right? Like um, healing comes through forgiveness and um, finding the pathway to that is a meandering river, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, because yeah. you don't know what's around the corner. You don't know what trigger will be there and what can open that up and bring it back. And then it's, I think our job to return to kindness, right? Um, mm. It's our job to return to joy. Uh, Absolutely. Like I'm, none of what I'm doing or exploring is meant to be maliciously aimed at my ex like I'm yeah. not doing this to drag him down or anything I just I'm trying to create a discussion about how these situations arise and how people can avoid being taken advantage of simply by and like for the people that do it and don't even realize that they're abusing someone like yeah. perhaps these discussions can highlight their own behavior to themselves no doubt uh, yeah I just think the more we talk about the different ways that people inadvertently mistreat or actively mistreat each other like yeah. more of it can be avoided where hurt people just continue to hurt people, right? Like, yeah, it is a cycle. And I see that all the time where um, just that, that trauma turns into inflicting trauma rather than trying to avoid it. Yeah, you know, it makes me think where Tori just says, we're gonna sit with this, right? We're gonna sit with it. And rather than um, maybe diluting how we feel with, you know, whatever, uh, booze or whatever, or the next big rush or mm, mm. whatever, 
It's like, no, we're going to sit with this for a second and really acknowledge what's happened um, to heal it, you know, not to linger in it, but just to be like, wow, that happened. That was impactful like that. Mm-hmm. There's an echo to that, even still today that, you know, can be felt. And I think that's can be where healing can happen, right? Absolutely. Yeah. My goodness. This has been an even better discussion than I anticipated. <laughs> Thank you. Same. I'm really looking forward to talking with you more sure. uh, for the book. But uh, thank you for joining us for the podcast. Of course. Thank you. But my songs. Yes. About 12. <laughs> yes. That was a bit of a tangent. Um, <laughs> but uh, the first song that kind of came up was, um, it was quite unexpected, uh, really. But um, it was a song called I Still Love You by Banks it came out recently off the back of the discussions we were having I think it's basically the song is you know I don't I don't know where you go on Friday nights I don't know you know what you're what you want in 20 years I don't know you know anything about you but I still love you it was incredibly touching to me and and very difficult because I think there's always going to be some kind of connection that you feel to someone who is no longer with you. And I think we talked about Flinch, the song by Alanis Morissette as well, you know, 10 mm. years. And somehow that person still has an impact on you and you kind of have to let it. You can't kind of just pretend these things don't exist. And so um, it's just a very sweet, beautiful song about you're feeling the feelings and not, and acknowledging them. Mm. Um, you know, acknowledging how difficult it can be to separate um, from the little things in the person. And yeah. Uh, and then the other one was a song called Clouds. So, you know, very your cloud. The song's <laughs> called Clouds, Song for John. It's by Beth Ditto. And it was sort of my other touchstone song um, for my brother. I listened to it. There's a great line in it, which is, uh, there's, not, there's not a whole lot that I could do to get you off my mind. Not that I wanted to. Not that I ever tried. And it's just that, you know. Yeah. Um, that's who we have. You get my point. Yeah, it's do. very much my, my song for Kale, so I'm, I miss you, mate. Yeah. The, the last one that sort of popped into my mind, actually while we were talking about the native landowners and their removal from their land and that discussion, but then similarly tying in with the relationship element and coupling is image and heaps hide and seek mm. and i don't want to dissect it too much now on the podcast <laughs> but i really urge you to go and listen to it mm. again with a sort of indigenous person's perspective in that like think about the song think about the song talking about the way colonization has happened and the forcible removal from people's mm. native native lands and from their culture you know from their families and the sort of the dividing canaan that kind of happened there where you know it was like everything that makes these people what they are we are going to wrest from them at every opportunity and um yeah it's but yes it's not the first time that i've thought about that song in that sense mm. and but it's also very much a song that I, I see as relating to my past relationship and um, emotionally I've lent on it a lot too. Mm. So the fact that 
your cloud is simultaneously those two things. Mm. Um, I thought it was a really nice pairing. Absolutely. I'm just thinking about it now, and yeah, that um, that you know, sort of famous part of it that was sampled. Um, you know, uh, what is it? You know, mm, which said that you only meant well. Well, of course you did. And, yeah. You know, that it's all for the best. Well, of course it is. And that was kind of, those were the two things that people sort of use now. One of the big sort of barriers to saying to sorry day was you know well. People thought they, you know, people meant well, and people thought yeah. they were doing the right thing, and um, that's what, you know, that's what was considered the best, you know, at that time, you know, and yeah. And well, I love the way she sings. They were here first. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, it's an undeniable fact. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Has anyone but, spoken to Imogen about whether that's what the song is? Yeah, I like it's this. I re I brought it up with someone a little while back. And they were like, oh, I'd never thought about that before. But for me, it so strongly Actually, yeah, speaks now that I think about it. of that colonization experience. Yeah. But it also can just be interpreted as relationship drama. Yeah. And so I think it's really like a brilliant song. Mm. And yeah, I hate that sampled bit of it in that uh, Jason Derulo. Yeah. You're done fucked up in <laughs> In the bin. Um, I know we only, have talked yeah. about not, r not ratting on on songs in the Tory canon, but I think we can go to town it's on different. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well, the only yeah, the only. I still am a bit sad that Imogen got wrapped up in JK's nonsense with Harry Potter, but I'm sure it was a great yeah. gig. Right. But Imogen I did all their music for Curse Child. Oh, of course. Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Ooh, is it ever. Um, what's next for us? What is next? Oh, we getting into the, the meaty stuff. Uh, our next episode will be I Can't See New York. Oh, wow. Which will be quite something. Yeah. Uh, and it will reflect a lot on our time in New York and what that song be an interesting uh, time to almost revisit now. It's, it's been a little while since we're yeah. in New York now. So, yeah, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to revisit. Yeah. But hopefully we'll get it out to you. And just when you thought the episode was over... Here's a second part of the interview with Alexander where we talk about Wednesday and I know this is not the Wednesday episode but it's a little sneak peek of what's to come later in the season. The other one you mentioned was Wednesday. Yes, it was. And I don't know if I understand Wednesday. I don't know if I can get through the moments of silliness in the song to really get to what her meaning was. But for me, it's about noticing. It's about, you know, you're on your drive to work. Oh, maybe I'll stop for a coffee. And then you saw something that you wouldn't see because you changed your mind and got off the highway to get that coffee. And it's about noticing that thing. Now, does that work with all the other lyrics? I don't know. But there's 
there are moments of questioning and surprise and observation throughout the song that I'd be actually really interested to ask you what mm -hmm. what do you think is the conflict with the man in that song? Uh, you're gonna have to wait till the Wednesday. Of the ah! <laughs> uh, I'll give you a little snippet because I do love um, teasers. Yes, but give it to the fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you Wednesday for me was always just the the fun jaunty. Like it's jazzy, it's fun. Like yeah. I did, I just didn't pay attention to any of it. It, it was that just, twangy guitar. Yeah, and then when the when the when it slows down in those moments, I was going to say chorus, but it's not really the chorus. No. It's um, kind of a post-chorus in a way. But they always frustrated me because I'm like, get back to the jazz. <laughs> um, but and I enjoyed it for that. And I knew all the words. I was singing along from beginning to end. And then I had this experience when I went to Perth for Perth Writers Festival in 2020. And I was feeling... I was feeling a lot. I was going through a bit of a interesting moment. <laughs> and this experience led me to recognise I needed antidepressants. Um, but congratulations! <laughs> Yay! Life is so much better now. <laughs> yes, it is. For some reason, when I was feeling really morose and like upset about my past, I thought, "Yeah, let's let's like press that bruise and put Scarlet's Walk on from beginning to end." <sighs> and three tracks in, here I was listening to Wednesday, thinking, "Oh well, at least I can get through this one fine." And then I heard it, and it clicked, and. I just, I had a full-on mental breakdown, like an emotional breakdown. Wow. I, I, like, was bawling for an hour solid. Um, I had to call my partner, Teague. He, he doesn't like talking on the phone because of his autism. Like, um, so it was a struggle for him to be able to support me in that way. I was emotionally, like, ruined for two solid days including I had to literally dry my tears, go on stage to do my panel, oh, and then step off stage and collapse again yep. twice, because I had two panels to get through, and one I was the moderator of because it was for my book uh, with, with the authors that wrote in my anthology. And then, then I thought I managed to sort of calm down a bit, and I woke up the next day and it all happened again. And I was so distraught that I'm like, I just have to go for a walk to deal with this. And I just walked and walked and walked for like an hour and a half, found myself in the botanic gardens and then had another meltdown and didn't know how, like I panicked and couldn't get home, mm -hmm. couldn't get back to the hotel. And like Teague honestly had to FaceTime me into an Uber and all the way back to the hotel wow. because I just was inconsolable um, because I finally understood Wednesday and it, it described my life with my ex to a T, even the silly jaunty bits. Mm -hmm. Like everything is basically transposed from my life. Well, now I need to like yeah. listen to the song and yeah, solve the, the mystery. It's the last, the last episode of the season oh. because it's the last, the last girl we're visiting on our road trip. Okay. So, ooh. 
There you go. That'll hook you right to the end. Yeah, <laughs> nicely done. Um, oh my goodness, Wednesday is a killer for me now, um, which is interesting because it's such a jaunty song. Yeah, it'd be like somebody saying like, "Happy Phantom" wrecks me every time. I just yeah. like, I can't listen to it. Well, Happy Phantom is quite. It, it packs a punch too, but not in not in the way that yeah. Wednesday does for me. Yay! So. Thanks, Thanks for joining us and talking about Scarlet's Walk. Anytime. Oh my god, I love this album so much. Last perfect album that she released. <laughs> <laughs> Hush your mouth. Uh, no, everything is great, but there is nothing wrong with Scarlet. There is Front to back, wrong. it is a perfect album. Yes. Although I do think that um, Ocean to Ocean, almost, like, it's, it's practically right up there flawless. For me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such How a... Glass is Made is... Is Rocky for me. I love how glasses I, for me. I like it. <laughs> uh, you're never going to please everyone. No, of course not. No, and that's not. not the point. No, no. And I don't think I would love her as much as if she tried to. Yeah. I mean, we've seen what happens when she tries to. Yeah. Why can't Tori read? <laughs> Which is a brilliant work of art, mm-hmm. under fucking rated. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I have the t-shirt. <laughs> I do need to get that t-shirt for myself. Yay, thank you. You're so welcome. Uh, you'll and probably... Best of luck. Thank you. We'll probably put that onto three different episodes. Great. <laughs> stretch. Yay. Stretch it out. Make that content. <laughs> the Michael's Walk podcast acknowledges that the journey they are undertaking takes place on the sacred and unceded nations of many proud Indigenous peoples. From the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, we are fortunate to call home to each and every Native American tribe's land we'll set foot on as we travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and humbly acknowledge their sovereignty.